0: Hey Drew. Hey,
1: how's it going? Good.
0: Melody will be late, so we'll bring her in when she comes. When she comes in, before we started recording, Drew, you and I were talking about, like, our podcast. By the way, welcome to How College Works.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: So we were talking about like, like, the whole reason we started this, and actually, kind of, maybe not even sort of reframing, but getting some sort of perspective on that. Do you want to talk a little bit about, like, what you were yeah. thinking there?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I was looking at it. Uh, we're Trying to think of um, you know adding topics to the end of our our list as we're closing in on our list of topics um, and saying, well what's our mission statement what were we aiming to get at when we started the conversation about let's have a podcast uh, maybe a year and a half ago and that brought up like yeah our kind of our aim for this for if somebody's listening to this as a eighteen year old or seventeen year old or nineteen year old is to say, beg the question, is there something that I can consider or reconsider a a paradigm shift of of behavior choices or or interactions with with professors in college that is different than the system in high school where I'm highly successful and moved on. Um, And it was, you know, aiming at enlightening those changes of behavior for for students as they enter first year and continue through second, third, fourth year and completion of college. And, you know, I think I remember having a conversation with you and Melody as well saying like, well, who's our audience? Is it the students or is it the professors? And when I brought up professors, you both like, no hesitation, were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not aimed at professors, it's aimed at the students. And in my head, I'm thinking, it is kind of a, it's a little bit of a two-way street. I get the idea, like our, most of our podcast episodes, majority of them are aimed at the students and, and making awareness of, of changes as they transition to college. And I think we've had we've touched on in some topics of our podcast how professors can um, kind of also either take feedback from from somewhere from a student from their peers their their professor peers or from research and and say is it time for a professor paradigm shift on certain aspects and facets of my classroom practice and my. Uh, that 's not to say like a student's going to walk up and say, "Hey, you need to teach me different uh, and they 'll just say, "Okay, sure, <laughs> but like I said, the two, this podcast could be a little bit of a two way street and say, Is there a, a, a moment for reflection and uh, when is the, the right choice for a professor to say, I want to retool, I want to reevaluate my delivery um, you know and, and and kind of take that level of, of mm. Change on
0: both ends, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. And, and certainly I think for me and I think Melody would agree is that simply being involved in you know, doing this podcast and talking to you and talking to our guests and thinking about you know what is changing as students come in has given me sort of a, a, a new perspective or more perspective on you know my students as they come in because it's easy to lose track of who who my students are. It's been a long time since I was in high school and Things some things have changed, some things are the same, but there have certainly been episodes where we've talked about stuff, and then I've been like, ah, I need to change the way I do this because I'm realizing that my assumptions weren't good assumptions, uh, and without talking that through with somebody who's knowledgeable, like I can't, I don't see it, I don't know it, you know.
1: And, well, it's always hard to, and I'm just thinking of my experience in in, in working in schools and my experience also with my. Uh, my children are coming up through uh, kindergarten, second grade, so that's early in the, the that side of the mm-hmm. exchange of, you know, yeah, when do teachers decide, um, and I'm thinking of K-12, when do teachers decide, uh, hey, I need to do something fresh, or sometimes the decision is everything's too new and too fresh, and I'm, it's time for me to retire, and a lot of times that... It's easy for that decision as a teacher, K-12, uh, I'm speaking for myself, <laughs> Right, right. To, to say, like, hey, I've got my lesson plans set up for this content for the year, I'm going to use them next year, rock and roll, and then get frustrated easily and say, hey, this lesson killed last year, this year it's not killing these darn kids, you know what I'm saying? And, right. and think about, like, oh, well, the kids have changed and get mad and frustrated at work, or, um, and it's easy for me to say again, because I'm no longer teaching in the classroom, but easy for me to say, uh, but I have it as well, uh, and say, okay, the kids are changed. These are the kids I've got. This is the, the crew I've got to work with. I want to, you know, uh, address learning and, and make progress happen. How do I change what I've got in front of me curriculum-wise to, you know, advance knowledge for the team that I'm playing with? Right. Right, and that's a for me. That was a difficult um, reflection on my practice to say. It's easy to turn around and say, "Well, at least I'm not as bad as that bad teacher," and I'm doing what I did last year, so the kids should be getting it. I don't understand why my behavior management system in classroom doesn't work anymore because it worked last year and I had a great year, and this year is terrible, and it's just the kids. And yeah, I mean, I would always hear when we spoke about this is about the time of year, February, March, you know, when we talked about eighth graders coming up to ninth grade and we would look at the list and say, oh, you know, the eighth grade teacher said that this guy's terrible and the eighth grade teacher said it's a bad class. But every single year I taught in high school, the eighth grade teachers, the the, the middle school feeder schools for our for my school would say like, oh, it's a bad class, a bad class. I, I just didn't see it. Like I mean, they matured over summer and some of them were, you know, rowdy, and had to get trained up on how to be high school kids, and some of them were fine. It's just, mm-hmm. like, it's easy to get in this rut of, like, oh, this year's kids are so bad, and I think, in my head, that's that's got to be really similar to a, a college professor that does a lot of classroom teaching, where, or any classroom teaching, um, even if it's one course, that you're you're, you're seeing the differences between year-to-year on students and saying, oh, these millennial snowflake kids, and oh, they're so disrespectful, and blah, blah, blah.
0: Well, I mean, um, I, I, I feel you on that. I, although, you know, we're, we're, I teach one of the writing sections, the first-year writing seminar sections here, and one of the things that we, we talked about, referenced, or read, referenced, um, I want to say it was Plato. It was Plato or, like, Socrates. is like, one of, the, you know, the first guys uh really decrying writing. Not writing poorly, but writing because it ruins students' memory. <laughs> and so like we look at this now we're like, that is so crazy. But you know, there is it's perennial, it's every year, every time, every group that comes in, you know, we, we forget we forget that things, some things have changed. We forget that even the things that I, th- I think, personally, that have stayed the same, we've forgotten the things that have stayed the same. We're stuck in our own mode, like, well, when I was doing this, I did that. Well, Okay, A, most college professors or even uh, maybe K-12 teachers are not the average. You know, you're... you're you are, passionate about a subject which is why you are end up teaching it at the college or or even at the K-12 level and so
1: and we have free time where we're surfing Twitter for math jokes and stuff you know that, that kind yeah. of thing yeah
0: Yeah. so like my experience is not the experience of everybody else and they're probably much closer I, I, I suspect than I believe I hope
1: somebody would correct me if I'm wrong I, I believe that this is called fundamental attribution error where you are self-reporting uh higher than than reality or lower than reality hmm. without knowing it. It's, it's not intentional. Right. But everybody scores themselves, yeah, I'm a, I'm a great writer. Yeah, I'm a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, evaluator of how good movies are. I'm a
0: better than true. average driver, say, the majority know, of drivers. Everybody's
1: a better than average driver, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Statistically impossible, but... Um, <laughs>
1: Somebody's got to be a bad driver. It's just
0: math. But getting back to sort of what you were thinking about, is like, well, how does this sort of... I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paraphrasing or sort of interpolating. Uh, you know, how does this relate to, like, how do I decide that I need to change what I'm doing as opposed to much of what we've talked about is here's what I'm doing, student, and here's how you can accommodate me. It was basically what, what we're just, you know, and most of our guests, like, guest, dear guest, what do you do... How can a student be accommodating to that to make this interaction go smoothly? And it sort of it flips it around to say, hey, professor, here's what students do. How can you accommodate that? Like, when do you make that decision? And sort of maybe, like, how do you determine whose responsibility it is?
1: And that's what I think is the, when I hesitated to bring the topic up for us, it's like, I think that. It would be easy to fall and say, oh, this is a slippery slope, and now we're going to ask the professors to bend over backwards for, for students whenever they ask to bring in their emotional support peacock.
0: Right, right. Uh, we um, talked about that. It's you know, cats, and, and dogs, and, again, and miniature it, horses,
1: by the way. It was <laughs> a challenging decision on my part as a teacher in the classroom to say, Rather than say, at least I'm not as bad as the bad teacher, these kids should be thanking me for how mediocrely good I am, um, and get angry at the kids, instead turn around and say, "Um, what can I do different? I want to have a good year. I've got the team I've got. It's not going to be like, oh, Mm -hmm. my world is going to be so much better when I get rid of the student, Peter Hyland, because he's so rowdy, and then my class will be brilliant. So true Um, how can I get rid of this kid? Instead, turn it around and say, how can I make learning awesome in my classroom? And I want kids running to my door because they're excited to come in and learn the content I'm doing, not because it's role-finding Nemo movies on every day, but because we're learning real trigonometry, you know, uh, Algebra 2. Uh, right, yeah, they're excited to come in and learn. What can I do to to just crush it at work? Right. And, and that's a difficult adult decision to come at as a teacher, as a professional, to turn around and say, maybe I've got some bad practice that needs to really, or I'm lax on certain items, or I'm not consistent in my behavior. Um, you know, I'm, I'm picking on my favorite kids better. You know what I mean? Like, to, to realize this about yourself as a professional is painful.
0: Yeah, I mean, that kind of deep reflection, I mean, really, you were talking about identifying your faults in a professional sense but it's equally difficult to identify your faults sort of just in a in a, in a personal level cuz they they tend to line up right the things that I do poorly with you know in my professional life they are extensions of the things that I do poorly in my personal life like cuz I am my I am the person who's in both those spheres so the things I do well I will tend to do well in both the things uh, that I do you know, poorly I do poorly in both so but yeah it's a painful thing to be like hey let me go recognize these things I do badly. Let me admit the things I don't want to admit to myself or others that I'm not doing as well as. And it's
1: hard, you know, Mm. like we've talked about tenure tenure track and and permanent status and Mm. differences, but you know, if, if I'm doing this with a professional coach, it's difficult to separate this from my job evaluation and say I don't want to admit shortcomings to my bosses.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah, saying this is something that's a problem means that they're 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 going to read me on it, and maybe that means I don't get hired again.
1: I think that's different at the college level. I hope.
0: I mean, but there there is sort of a weird flip that happens is that in when you're pre tenure, when you're on tenure track and, and an assistant professor, you know, you 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 want to show improvement, but you don't want to show like super weakness, right? So you you still do have some of that motivation to not necessarily yeah. bear your soul with your problems because. If you're saying that, you then have to act on it. Like, if I tell you what I'm doing poorly and I'm not showing you how I'm addressing it, then all that does is tell you that you shouldn't keep me.
1: So you have to live in two worlds. You have to be your own hype man. Right. Right. And puff it up and, hey, I'm killing it. My my, my growth, my my learning is, is happening and this is the, the, the progress in the classroom and whatever. And you can't fall for your own hype. You have to... You also have to recognize truthfully your mm. you know, objective weaknesses and then make the second step is build the action plan to mitigate right. or to change.
0: And then I get tenure and right. then I don't have to do that anymore. Either of them. <laughs> right right. I don't I don't have to bear my soul, I don't have to improve. I mean yeah. this is being really cynical about it, but like kind of at the core
1: you could survive without doing it, but I don't know a, an academic person who necessarily. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Like the pressure is off on both of those things. You know, you're supposed to settle down, and ideally, you're supposed to flourish in doing the things that are important. Which you know, tenure is really, I think, mostly, my impression. You know, for the research side, so I should be really knuckling down and doing that awesome research, being more adventurous in my research. Conversely, like here, I, I should be, you know being more adventurous in my instruction. That's not necessarily the way it works, you know, because... I guess that, you know, this is... It, like, it's not
1: a giveaway as a professor or a teacher to the students. It's not a retreat to say, I want to get better at teaching and and verifying that my students have learned. So, right. but I think that's the perception when I brought it up first was like, no, our audience is not the professors. We're not trying to change professor behavior because you know, it wouldn't be heard per se. Um,
0: right, or we don't need to change. Right, those those are two, two right. options on that. Time is like people are going to listen to us and change, or everything is fine. <laughs> so, I mean, but so it's,
1: I think that's a separate issue from you know, we've all had the the teachers or the professors who are um, you know loaned money to Noah, and it's time for them to like go into retirement and move to New Mexico or something. Right. And that's a separate, I think that's a separate issue is the people who are stuck in a rut for a different reason, not because they're just uh, unwilling or or unknowledgeable on how to change and retool their, their craft, but the ones that have just been around for so long that they're literally rolling out the, you know, the same lesson plan from 1982.
0: Yeah, it seems like a problem to me. <laughs> And so it, one of the things that you know we talked about is like so, whose responsibility is it to change? You know before we started recording. And I was thinking about like so when when is it my responsibility and when is it my students' responsibility? Certainly, I think the things that we you want to kind of keep in mind is kind of a general answer is that, it ha- you have to take in like why are you changing, for whom are you changing, and are you recognizing the situation the the context of the change.
1: And again, you have to have a really clear idea of what your purpose, what your core, right? You know, um, what do they call them, non-negotiable kind of thing? Is hey, I want this. I want this result to be happening in my classroom. I want this. Um, you know, when I think they call it backwards mapping in K twelve, where I look mm-hmm. at for algebra one, I first I go talk to the algebra two teachers and say, what do you? What's the base skills starting in September?
0: That you need that to have. Needs,
1: yeah. right? And then I go, this is my aim. This is my target. I'm going to, you know. Or even, you know, you look at the, the sixth grade teachers are talking to the calculus teacher in my district and saying there's, there's kind of a limited opportunity to, once you get picked for the math class in seventh grade, there's only a couple of ways to get past that pick. You're either selected for the track that goes that can make it to calculus 12th grade or you're selected for the other track which is doesn't get to calculus in 12th grade right and so there's limited opportunities to actually advance and so we've had that discussion of like well what do we need to be doing in sixth grade so that the seventh grade selection you know is uh, more equitable and how do we add advancement options over summer or whatever so that Calculus is realistic for people who maybe had a bad sixth grade year.
0: Right. Yeah. So we don't just track them and now they're stuck regardless of who they grow into. Yeah. So I think one of the things thinking about, like, whose responsibility? Is it my responsibility as a professor to change? Is it my student's responsibility to change? And I think the first question for me is maybe not, like, what is the ultimate, like, non-negotiable that needs to happen, but rather is the change... Do I want the change on either side to happen because it's convenient for me or because it is sort of respectful or, you know, good for the other person, right? right. If I want my students to change simply because it's easier for me, I, I personally don't think that's a good call. Like maybe it's I need to change because that will be the better outcome for them as opposed to they need to change because it's the easier path You're right. Me. That
1: can't be the only factor, but it should be a factor that's, that's considered.
0: Right, right. Like, that's sort of step zero, right? If the students are like, you need to change because this instruction style is inconvenient for me. That's what I'm like, okay, we need to stop right there because that that whole thing is just like, no. If they're like, I this needs to change because this instruction style this instruction mode style whatever is not helping me to, to learn or is like not accommodating to uh, you know uh, my my accommodations you know or if I'm looking at it as like this instruction is not best practices and so is in general going to be not as effective for my students you know those are different things as opposed to yeah. I, I, I'm uncomfortable
1: that was definitely the, the aim of our, of our podcast from the beginning was to facilitate students starting that conversation in a way that is more likely to garner a change mm-hmm. and benefit both parties on, on both sides. Because, the, yeah, you're the, leading off with that uh, is going to get a bad re- reaction from a, from a professor and most likely from a teacher, too, to be honest.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, true, true. There are different incentives and, <laughs> they're going on. I think, and months. we've had
1: the kind of the mention in, in other episodes, too, about in K-12, or at least let's say it this way, in, in the school that I worked at most recently, and the administration, the principal, and the team that was at the head of that school when I was there um, said, and I agreed. you know, our education decisions in the classroom and school on the campus should not be made because it's more comfortable for adults
0: yeah yeah the
1: reasoning behind if we had a rationale down behind every decision that was made why do we do this why do we pick to do that why is this the rule why is that the procedure the rationale behind it is not adult comfort it's going to be student learning student learning student learning this facilitates student learning And, and they they made a point it wasn't like we want to raise test scores it was we want to facilitate student learning this is our, and, and that was the best uh, administration that I, you know, um, worked for at a school. And because I agreed with that, you know, mission, vision, values, and goals is the buzzword. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, I think that should be really, in my opinion, the same thing on both sides, you know, even at the college. Like, why do, you, why do we make this decision? Whose responsibility does it com- come with? Am I uncomfortable? Are the students uncomfortable? If the answer is yes to both of those, but the underlying thing is it is better for student learning outcomes, then then that's what we should do. Like, I should challenge myself. I should challenge them. I should be uncomfortable in my instruction because I'm trying no, to push the, it to the new students, places. You know.
1: per se should not necessarily be comfortable 100% of the moments while, right. while they're learning because if, are they learning if they're not being... Uh, challenged and I'm not talking about physically uncomfortable I'm talking about you know a a learning task that is a stretch beyond your current ability well yes that's the whole point is you know you don't learn to walk by never falling down
0: (laughs) it's true
1: it's true I'm sure it hurts the baby and it's painful as a parent to watch your like toddler Ah,
0: it doesn't they're fine
1: falling down, but they only <laughs> fell six inches because they're not that tall. <laughs> and, and they have to do it to learn. Some pain is necessary. Right.
0: Well, we can go into physics of that. It, it's a lot less destructive for them than it is for you and me.
1: Oh, okay. Well, and again, that's that fundamental attribution error where I just assume it's highly painful like it is for me to fall.
0: I mean, assume you a child that's a third of your height, they are uh, 27 times lighter. <laughs> So, they're, okay. they're, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they're falling a third of the distance. The force is 127th, you know, from from that whole thing. It really is, like, scaling is interesting stuff. But well,
1: it's not a full scale because their head is not proportionally smaller than my head. They have
0: freakishly large heads,
1: it's true. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving
0: on. Yeah, so that responsibility to change, you know, for me, I'm thinking about, like, well, when is it my responsibility? When is it their responsibility? Part of it is, is it... Is an action that I can take that will improve this overall thing then if, if the answer is yes then I should be seriously considering making that change if the answer for them is like yes they could make this change and it will improve everything then they should seriously consider making that change there's also this aspect of you know you talk about like this is my team that I have to deal with and we run into that here as well you know I've had colleagues who are all like K- uh, k-12 is, is failing students I'm like you know I feel you you know, next meeting. K-12 is failing students. It's like, yes, but as you said, these are the students I have. Like, how do, how do I, how do I deal with these students? And there's this difference between making changes that are reasonable within the system or trying to take actions to change the system. Right? So that's one of the things that I think we ran into with the podcast is that, you know, we're talking about sort of general systems within a college or university. And you know, it would be a different podcast to talk about how do these systems work, how could they change, and how can you affect that change? You know, as opposed to here are the systems that are in place, and how do you deal with those systems as they are in but, place? And
1: again, that's why that's why we started this conversation was the students right. you're getting, where your colleague professors are saying K twelve has failed this kid. Um, and I guarantee you, when they say that in a general sense, they're thinking of a. Specific individual when they say that statement, you know what I mean. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, um, that those students have mastered the K twelve system. That's how they got to you, and that's the conversation we were having. Is these kids have mastered a system? They know how to navigate. They know how to get results that are positive benefits. Uh, uh, what are they the uh, you know for them, right. Outcomes, okay. Education outcomes, at, at least for them. They've, they've
0: they got the there. grades, they got to the college, they got the recommendations, you know, all the, all the things that you're trying to do in high school. To and do. I
1: want to be really clear. I'm not implying that somebody has somehow scammed the system. I'm like, I was this student too. I'm, you know, I'm, I've pointed out on the podcast, you can't tell maybe, but I'm white, male, middle class. Um, I've, like, the SAT is made for me. I scored pretty high. I got... Uh, you know what I mean? like Yeah. I wasn't cheating the system. Uh, that you just I just learned to I navigate
0: the system. The system
1: and I knew how to navigate, and I got good outcomes out of it. And then I got to college, and I was not 100% prepared. And I'm sure my professors, some of them were saying, oh, K-12 failed this kid. You know, writing skills are terrible, whatever. But... Again, that that's the conversation is they have to tool up their skills for there, – there's a small uh, – even smaller number of kids who are already tooled up for college. Um, and, and now we're – you know, the college acceptance rate or beginning starting college rate is so much higher than it was in, you know, pick a year, 1940.
0: Okay? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely.
1: Where it was a really limited number of um, upper middle class and certain individuals who could get there um, – or back further when it was no women and no minority and no blah blah you know what i mean and and, right so we've expanded greatly the the people who are starting college and they have to tool up to meet that system they had 18 years to practice in the public school system k-12 um or 13 years i suppose and uh how many years have they had to, to practice at at college right now in February? If it's your first year, you've had six months right?
0: yeah, yeah it's you know, it's quick you don't know you don't oh. know what's
1: going on so and, and that's the other thing I, I guess that's the other item is like getting this feedback as a professor or a teacher from either it's from students or it's from a, a mentor or a master teacher that you're working with or something or research that you've done in your career. And I have become in, in my slightly older age more acceptable of the time scale that it takes to make that change I think students request this you need to teach me different and they're expecting that tomorrow you're going to have this brilliant song and dance big bird suit different lesson for them
0: right right yeah like I want the change here comes the change if you're watching videos online this this, this is going to be facetious like yeah you just click a different video and you're good to go but like I have to like retool my entire thing
1: and I'm way more accepting at this age of Um, getting this feedback, yes, absolutely, and I'm going to feel a little bit of pushback on it from myself, from personal pride and from reluctance and from comfort zone and whatever. And then cogitate and feel it out and yeah, let me see if I can add this to my lesson plan. Let, you know, what's the realistic time horizon? Is this next year? Is this next fall? Next spring? Is this next month? Maybe. Right. And and or do I need to talk with my department team? And so my time horizon is way different when versus a student walking to a professor and saying we need to change this, and they're expecting it on on Monday to be different.
0: Right. And some of that has to do with like how much are you in control of? Are we changing? The way you address students in the class, that could happen next class period. Right. Right. Are you talking about a different mode of presenting material? That might have to wait till you're redoing the next set of, of preps. So that may be later on the year or may wait till next year. Are you talking about a total shift in the curriculum? You know, that may be Reading a departmental style. thing. That may be a couple years down the line. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it's just the, the, the expectation of the speed at which the, the gears turn. Um, because, shoot, if you make a big enough, um, you know, hoorah in K-12, as if you're a student and a parent and you go up to the district and, shoot, I, I, I've had parents email the superintendent and copy the principal and, you know, I want to see a change tomorrow.
0: And yeah. so by
1: golly, there's going to be a change tomorrow. <laughs> but... Uh, you know what I mean like there they're, that's that's a rare you know occurrence, but that's possible in in k twelve to make a um, a quick change and kind of force it through right to make that demand and get a quick change for a highly specific situation mm-hmm. and student and and connection yeah. you know in a localized sense where everybody in town knows everybody in town and we're able to make these little situations happen and it's just it's a different expectation or it's a different social interaction at a college level
0: right yeah we don't you don't have that same kind of well leverage or even sort of awareness of each other right it's, it's yeah. that you would with and, you the know community.
1: The, a public school is is trying hard to have a positive um feeling in the community which we serve, because we do serve the you know the zip codes and the and the neighborhoods around here, and we want to be viewed positively in the media. We don't want to have, you know, uh, I think it was a community near here where they had obsoleted some textbooks, and somebody, it wasn't my district. <laughs> somebody threw these textbooks and a couple of old broken desks in the dumpster, and the parent drove by, took a picture. It was on the front page of the paper the next day. It was in the news. Like, this is you know, $12,000 worth of public money that's just in the dumpster out here getting rained on. And it had been approved by the school board, but it's a bad optics, right, for the parents to drive by and say, like, my tax money just paid for this dumpster full of textbook. Nice. You know, and nothing nothing bad had actually happened. It's just, it looks really bad to have a textbook that's uh, in the dumpster. Even if it's an old textbook, you know, anyway,
0: anyway, anyway. So I want to get to something, Drew, you talked about. Uh, you mentioned before we started, which was, you know, what feedback do you find reasonable, or what feedback would you find acceptable? Like, how, how do you get the feedback? So it was me as a professor, basically. Yeah. It was like, what is it that I would accept as yeah. feedback that then triggers me to be like, oh, hey, yeah, I then need to change things,
1: which yeah, is a... I could talk about the, the K-12 I feel like I had lots of opportunities to at least hear that feedback
0: right. well, well, and it's you know, I, my understanding is that, you know as part of your you know, like evaluation year to year is to get feedback on that, um, and you know the student portion of that feedback is a much stronger element of that job than it is for my job. Not that we don't have student feedback, but so thinking of me. Oh.
1: Yeah, I guess the, the student feedback was not a portion of my formal job evaluation, but I would, you know, you get student feedback and parent feedback basically daily.
0: Right. Sure. Yeah. And then, well, and if you have a lot of negative parent or student feedback for you even if it's not part of your formal feedback, then it's it's going to start to bleed into the evaluation at the end of the year. If all your students and their parents are complaining about your instruction, yeah, you're probably not going to get rehired.
1: Yeah, though so that's the worrying ones. Is the ones you don't hear about, and they go straight to your principal. That's kind of the feedback that is most mm-hmm. worrying.
0: So, in thinking about you know feedback that I that I get, so what is it that I would would accept? So, first of all, the, the stuff that comes to me, as opposed to feedback that comes to my boss, right? You know, so I, first of all, I want it to come to me. I want it to be sort of respectful and and giving me the benefit of the doubt that. I understand being angry. I have certainly have drafted angry emails <laughs> to students who have done stuff that have pissed me off, then deleted it, and then come back and written a more sort of measured email. No. But, you know, if, if what I'm getting is, you know, personally attacking and not giving me the benefit of the doubt, you know, I am less likely to listen to it. And I have the luxury that, assuming everything else is going okay, I cannot, I can just go ahead and not listen to it and then and then, just go on with my life. So, to me, respectful.
1: It's highly easy to discount any, the whole feedback package if the, uh, you know, one piece of it is highly offensive or whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It's just, there may be a lot of really true stuff in there, but if it feels like someone's just yelling at me, it's hard for me to be open to hearing what's being said. Because it's much, much harder.
1: So do you get, like, I guess... As far as feedback on your pedagogy, so do you get any amount of the end of course survey results or anything like that that you look at? So we
0: have course evaluations, Um, they are required to go in before tenure here, they're required to go into your yearly sort of packet that you put turn in with a reflective letter about different aspects of what you're doing and your course evaluations for the last year uh they're required for your tenure dossier as well uh so i see them they're anonymous right or at least rather names are taken away like sometimes you'll read them, and be like i know who this is because like this is just the way they talk (laughs) you know um but yeah i i get those um i should be reading them reflecting on them and addressing them as i turn around into the next semester or next school year uh it's probably not great if I don't. Generally speaking, because you know those go in; those get included in the evaluation. So, if, so my boss would be looking at my yearly evals and being like, "Here's what the students say," and if I'm not addressing that in some way, then I'm probably not doing awesome. One of the things that I was thinking is that the one of the issues is that. Students aren't versed in pedagogy, neither are faculty members, generally, either. So there's this sort of this thing is like, as a K-12 teacher, you're required to take pedagogy classes, like how, how to teach, like the mechanics of teaching and understanding how teaching works and how to teach well, which, you know, students don't have to take. is not requir- actually required for my job. I have some of that, but it's not required for my job. My peers who are evaluating me also don't have to do that. And so it's sort of the blind leading the blind, in some sense of of like if you could say hey here's the best practices maybe you should think about these because they seem to be effective that would be great but the number of people who can do that are small
1: so the yeah and i and i guess that's again the point one of the facets of our podcast is to point out that you know college professors are content experts first or or guaranteed anyway yes. and not necessarily required to be um, sometimes but not always uh, you know required to be um,
0: delivery experts
1: delivery a teaching uh, you know um, expert or a learning coach or something like that and I guess that you're right that is a challenge and and it's easy for me with as a you know educator um, with the chip on my shoulder to say like yeah the students are not experts on on pedagogy <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I, I I think that's a fair statement.
0: Yes, I think I think that's fair. Yeah,
1: they're experts at living in the fishbowl. They're not, you know, of of living. The ones that get to you are expert students at K twelve, and that's a different job description. Now, it, I'm thinking back when I was a student. Yeah, you think you're. Hey, I, I've got it. I've nailed it, man. I lived for thirteen years in this public school system. Yeah, years of
0: experience being a student have feedback yeah, I, to give well, about how many, instruction how
1: many, how many teachers did you come across in your student career you, i know all the teachers i know all the styles of teaching because i've seen them all man and but the fact is you're right there has been not any explicit you know or, or direct or experiential of um pedagogy you know and that's not to say like a couple of classes as a student i was sitting in and the teacher required us to do a little teaching lesson that was 10 minutes long or something right versus you know years and years of of professional practice
0: i think i mean and so this is kind of a difficulty and but i would say like the analogy is somebody who plays say baseball or softball is somebody who's a physicist somebody who plays softball is they have an intuitive understanding for the way the the ball moves you know both in the pitch and the hit and the throwing and catching and all that there's a lot of physics involved there but that's different than knowing yeah. conservation of momentum, conservation of energy and impulse and, you know, all these other things that are going on. And so being a, a, a fantastic softball player doesn't mean that you understand the physics and understanding all the physics doesn't mean that you can play softball worth a damn. You know, so you, you're living in these related two different worlds and that if we take time, you can clearly see how one influences the other or how they relate to each other, you know, but basically, I like,
1: I thought you were going to make a different analogy, but then, <laughs> I understand what you're saying there.
0: Yeah, so I was just thinking in terms of like what would I accept as feedback. Yeah, it would be great if someone could say, like, hey, here's, here's something which tells you what best practices are, and you might want to think about adopting these. What may be more realistic and reasonable is, hey, here's what you did here's why it worked for me or here's why it didn't work for me, which is not the same as saying, here's how you need to change it. If you have suggestions, I suppose that's great. But it's saying, like, here's my individual experience, and here's what worked or didn't work. That helps me a whole lot. It gives me view into the student experience, which I have have lost and forgotten as a faculty member.
1: Yeah. And well, and what you're also able to give as a college professor is a... This is a different way of thinking about the the topic, the content. This is a different way. This is the accepted way. This is the um, professional level way of uh, approaching and writing about and discussing the topic. So, you, I mean, it's not that. Uh, oh, you guys aren't pedagogy experts by requirement, so therefore, college is a wash. I, I don't. I don't want to put that notion in anybody's head.
0: No, I think I. I. I wouldn't agree. Even... I would agree with you in that statement. Like the analogy I've made at the very beginning is like master craftsmen. Like somebody who is a master woodworker doesn't have pedagogy training, but that doesn't mean you don't go if you want to be a master woodworker, you go and study with them. Just because they haven't learned like you know, all Bloom's taxonomy doesn't mean that they can't teach you what they know. Right. It's a different experience. You know, it's
1: well so I thought the, the baseball analogy you were gonna make, or sports anyway, and I'm not a sports Person, so I'm not going to put names in and make <laughs> guesses, but um, is I, I know a couple of parent friends of mine who were college-level baseball athletes, uh, softball athletes, and like really top-level performers in, in that sport, and they don't want to coach. Neither one of them wants to wants to be a coach for their kids' teams. <laughs> and I mean, that's the analogy I'm seeing is like you can be a fantastic player and a bad coach, or you could be a uh, kind of mediocre player and kind of have your foot in the game, but you're not, you know, neon neon. Dion. Wow, deep cut. Ask your parents, kids, and and not be a good coach in that sport. But I'm sure that somebody's going to point out, oh, there's plenty of, you know, top players who became coaches and, uh, you know... In, in any case, I thought that was the analogy you were going to go with, is there's how many coaches and how many players and how many of them would make good uh, performers on the other side of the coin.
0: Right, yeah. It it takes a different set of skills that you may or may not have or you may or may not be able to develop. But we are out of time, but thanks, Drew, for this conversation. It was nice to kind of reflect on, like...
1: Yeah. I'm going to plug one of our future episodes. I've got some high school counselors lined up that are interested in scheduling with us to talk about uh, what they do for high school counseling and and, uh, college guidance.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm really super interested because as we have discussed, I remember nothing about my high school guidance counselors. (laughs) I seem to have zero interaction with them. That cannot be true, but that means that I don't remember anything. So that would be awesome for me to hear that.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. Well, listeners, if you have a question for me or Drew or Melody when she's here, then you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Hyland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. Or send me an email, peter.o.hyland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. All right. Bye.
1: Bye.